hello to all my listeners and uh, those who were so brave to follow me <laughs> into who knows where. Um, I enjoy so much telling the story of Kuyati and uh, I, I'm surely hoping that you enjoy it too. We stopped last week with some musings on art, on high art and on how not to step in your own poop when you're retreating from a lion, all sorts of highfalutin philosophical things. And uh, where the story actually ended was, I was telling how Kuyati turned up in front of Uncle Nuru's uh, hut, the, the elder Nuru, the official town woodcarver with a piece of rotten acacia wood and a razor blade which almost gave the old man a heart attack because of the worries they have about AIDS. And uh, with a lot of tears and determination and stick-to-itiveness, Kuyati sort of convinces him to teach him how to, uh, to cut wood, how to carve, how to whittle. And... Uh, but what he basically got for himself is a mentorship or an apprenticeship, if you want, from Uncle Nuru, who may have been an elder who was just a woodcarver of a dusty little Maasai town, or village rather, but he had attended some government courses uh, in... Uh, in Dar es Salaam, and few people knew about that in the village, but he was a well-trained woodcarver at a time when the government had an initiative to train more carvers for curio shops and roadside stalls and who knows what. It was a way for many poor folks to make a living. So he, he knew his stuff. And also 20 years of experience of maybe 30 does add up. So he says uh, to Kuyati, okay, I'll help you. And he gets up and he disappears into his hut. She's still shaking his head, of course. Uh, and Kuyati says the following, I stopped breathing for fear he would forget about my wood carving supplies and lie down to take a nap. But he came back with a small block of really soft wood and an old pocket knife. Here, boy, he said, you can keep the knife. Keep it clean and sharp. I remember my face hurting from smiling so, so wide and so long. I examined every detail of the old knife with reverent hands. He gave me a block of impossibly soft light wood. This is my damned expensive balsa that I bought in Dar es Salaam last year, so don't mess it up, okay? He showed me how to make an indentation in the balsa with my thumbnail and feel it and smell the wood. He said, I will draw the outline of the rabbit on the side of the block of wood and you need all you need to do is cut away all the wood that's not rabbit. That made perfect sense to me, especially since I could see the rabbit in there. 
oh, how happy I was. I was getting the best wood carving tuition in the world. I found out later that he had stolen his saying, the one about removing everything that was not rabbit, from some Italian sculptor in the Bible, but it still helped me a lot. Now, one thing to watch out for when Coyote says something is, please don't fact check the guy. He kind of misunderstands sometimes, and also he doesn't read at all. So uh, there are plenty of misunderstandings in his dialogue. What I'm really doing in this episode is setting up Kuyati, uh, his skills for later on when he really becomes a serious woodcarver. You know, at his age, these first things, uh, first uh, uh, basic techniques that Uncle Nuru teaches him are, are items of information that stays with him for the rest of his life. Isn't that the same for all of us? So he was dedicated. I had a bit of fun there when Uncle Nuru pretends to read the inscription on the blade and he even tells Kuyati about abbreviations and that's how he could read off a whole little workshop manual for wood carving to Koyati and pretend that it's all engraved in the blade. That's also a way in which I make the pocket knife precious to Koyati and that heightens the tension when one of the other herd boys takes the knife from him. Uh, then you realize it's not just another pocket knife it's his living, as it were. I also established the fact that whittlers need a strong glove. The, the glove is just kind of something that, that surfaces every now and then. And this uh, chapter concludes with the words, those were the happiest times of my childhood. Uh, and I have to say, it was not altogether happy childhood. And furthermore, uh, Kuyati's childhood is the focus of an intense investigation later on, where his advocate is trying to establish a severely unhappy childhood and abuse and all sorts of things to try and get him off in court, but uh, I don't want to spoil anything. The next chapter is called Koyati Goes to Church. Now, this wasn't the real church he went to because, well, it's hard to do this kind of commentary without spoilers, so let me spoil this chapter at least. Uh, Kuyati's church is an image of a similar place from my own childhood. Uh, please, before you say he is Kuyati and the thing is autobiographical, uh, maybe it is, in a way, in, in, in a few small details. I've never been to jail and I've never killed anybody as far as I know and so on. 
Coyote's church is something we call in the Afrikaans language a fountain. Now, I know that the fountain in English is most often a granite or marble structure into which water is pumped through some little statue or it comes out of a fish's mouth or whatever, and then you get the elaborate fountains of Rome and so on. But what we call a fountain in Afrikaans is, uh, let me explain this in kind of geographical terms. We lived in the Sotpansberg, which is not huge towering mountains, but pretty steep hills. And the water tended to come out from under the, uh, the water table and where there was a break and run down in something much smaller than a creek uh, over some rocks and and plunged into a, a small pool that was covered over by high trees. And in a very hot climate, this water together with the trees created a, a sanctuary of sorts. It was cool, it was dark, the water was exquisitely clean. I mean, you could just put your head in there and open your eyes. It wouldn't even hurt your eyeballs because there was nothing to hurt it, so clean it was. You would see all sorts of little lively creatures on the surface, the uh, what we called water doggies, skaters, and at the bottom all sorts of microscopic, well, not really microscopic, but uh, very small creatures scuttling about. Still, of course, so clean, you, you didn't even drink it. You put your head in and inhaled, and it was sweet. The water was sweet. I don't like water so much anymore, but that water was sweet. So that was a, a sort of almost a, a, a sanctified place. And of course, there were naughty uh, vervet monkeys up in the canopy, throwing things down on you. That is my memory of the pool uh, in the mountain, and that is Kuyati's memory of it. Except that his home is on the real savanna, uh, near the Ngorogoro uh, crater. And uh, it gets even hotter there. So this is how it all started. He was watching the cattle one day, just a normal day like any other. And he was a little bit sleepy. He used to steal his mother's little yellow transistor radio and listen until very late at night with his ear pressed against the speaker. So he was sleepy the next day, and he dozed off uh, on uh, in the fork of a really smallish little acacia tree, just high enough for the bull of the herd not to be able to get him, because bulls are like that. They're always out to get you. And uh, as he nodded off, he felt more, he smelled the presence of something. And when he, when he looked around, 
there they were, the three hyenas, Marcy and her two sisters. Kiyati doesn't know why he called her Marcy, but there they were, and they were f- discussing dinner plans, and they said, you know what, Maasai herd boy would be fantastic for dinner tonight since here we are. And there he is, and the tree isn't that big. Koyati knew that this was big trouble. These hyenas were enormous things. They could stand upright on their hind legs and probably reach them. And the tree was little. There was not much scope to go up on it. If he jumped down, they would get him, these hyenas. And if they didn't get him, maybe the bull would get him. So he didn't have a lot of time to weigh his option. He took one look around him. The village, his access to the village was blocked off by the hyenas. They were between him and the village. And the only other point of possible rescue for him was the tree line around the little creek that bubbled out of the mountains. And that was a long way off. So uh, just to complete the picture between him and the, the fountain, as we shall call it for now, there was a, a burn pile. That is when the village men clear an area of, of wood, forest, not really forest, but a, a woody area. They throw all the branches on, in one big pile and then later they burn it when it's dried out good and well. So he, he wasn't sure that it was the right thing to do, but it made it easier to know it was the only thing to do, is to jump off out of the little tree and run like hell. So that's what he did. Man, and you know Kuyati could run. And hyenas are clumsy, shambling creatures Unfortunately, they shamble at an incredibly fast pace. So he was down. Somehow the bull ignored him, but the hyenas were on him, and he was off to the races. He jumped over obstacles and ran like the wind, just like a little rabbit. And when he got to the burn pile, which a huge pile of dry wood, which was between him and the tree line they were on to him what to do he jumped into the burn pile apart from a few branches on top there was an opening underneath and he tumbled in there but there was a complication with a burn pile and I tell you there was a huge danger lurking there next week I tell, tell you about what happened to Coyote in the burn pile See you next time. Have a good time.